0: Chapter Two of The Lone Wolf. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Tomko. The Lone Wolf by Lewis Joseph Vance. Chapter Two. Return. His return to Troyons, whereas an enterprise which Lanyard had been contemplating for several years, in fact ever since the death of Bork, came to pass at length almost purely as an affair of impulse. He had come through from London by the afternoon service, via Boulogne, traveling light, with nothing but a brace of handbags and his life in his hands. Two coups to his credit since the previous midnight had made the shift advisable though only one of them, the later, rendered it urgent. Scotland Yard would, he reckoned, require at least twenty-four hours to unlimber for action on the Omber Affair, but the other, the theft of the Hoysman plans, though not consummated before noon, must have set the chancellories of at least three powers by the ears before Lanyard was fairly entrained at Charing Cross. Now his opinion of Scotland Yard was low, its emissaries must operate gingerly to keep within the laws they serve, but the agents of the various Continental Secret Services have a way of making their own laws as they go along, and for these Lanyard entertained a respect little short of profound. He would not have been surprised had he ran foul of trouble on the pier at Folkestone. Boulogne, as well, figured in his imagination as a crucial point its harbour lights heaving up over the grim grey waste peered through the deepening violet dusk to find him on the packets deck responding to their curious stare with one no less insistently inquiring but it wasn't until in the gauntlet of the guerre du nord itself that he found anything to shy at dropping from train to platform he surrendered his luggage to a ready facteur and followed the man through the crush elbowed and shouldered, offended by the pervasive reek of chilled steam and coal gas, and dazzled by the brilliant glare of the overhanging electric arcs. Almost the first face he saw turn his way was that of Roddy. The man from Scotland Yard was stationed at one side of the platform gates. Opposite him stood another known by sight to Lanyard, a highly decorative official from the Prefecture de Police. Both were scanning narrowly every face in the tide that churned between them. Wondering if, through some fatal freak of fortuity, these were acting under late telegraphic advice from London, Lanyard held himself well in hand. The first sign of intent to hinder him would prove the signal for a spectacular demonstration of the ungentle art of not getting caught with the goods on and for twenty seconds while the crowd milled slowly through the narrow exit he was as near to betraying himself as he had ever been nearer for he had marked down the point on roddy's jaw where his first blow would fall and just where to plant a coup de savate most surely to incapacitate the minion of the prefecture and all the while was looking the two over with a manner of the most calm and impersonal curiosity but beyond an almost imperceptible narrowing of roddy's eyes when they met his own as if the englishman were struggling with a faulty memory neither police agent betrayed the least recognition and then lanyard was outside the station his facteur introducing him to a ramshackle taxicab no need to speculate whether or not roddy were gazing after him in the ragged animal who held the door while lanyard fumbled for his facture's tip he recognized a runner for the prefecture and beyond question there were many such about if any lingering doubt should trouble roddy's mind he need only ask such and such and one took that cab and for what destination to be instantly and accurately informed in such case to go directly to his apartment that handy little re de chaussee near the trocadero was obviously inadvisable without apparent hesitation lanyard directed the driver to the hotel Lutetia, tossed the ragged spy a sou and was off to the tune of a slammed door and a motor that sorely needed overhauling the rain which had welcomed the train a few miles from paris was in the city torrential few wayfarers braved the swimming sidewalks and the little clusters of chairs and tables beneath permanent caf awnings were one and all neglected but in the roadways an amazing concourse of vehicles mostly motor-driven skimmed skidded and shot over burnished asphalting all of course at top speed else this were not paris lanyard thought of insects on the surface of some dark forest pool The roof of the cab rang like a drumhead. The driver blinked through the back splatter from his rubber apron. Now and again the tires lost grip on the treacherous going and provided instants of lively suspense. Lanyard lowered a window to release the musty odor peculiar to French taxis, got well peppered with moisture, and promptly put it up again. Then insensibly he relaxed in the toils of memories roused by the reflection that this night fairly duplicated that which had welcomed him to Paris twenty years ago. It was then that, for the first time in several months, he thought definitely of Troyons. And it was then that Chance ordained that his taxicab should skid, on the point of leaving the Ile de la Cité by way of the Pont Saint-Michel, it suddenly, one might pardonably have believed, went mad, darting crabwise from the middle of the road to the right-hand footway with evident design to climb the rail and make an end to everything in the seine the driver regained control barely in time to avert a tragedy and had no more than accomplished this much when a bit of broken glass gutted one of the rear tires which promptly gave up the ghost with a roar like that of a lusty young cannon at this the driver apparently a person of religious bias said something heartfelt about the sacred name of his pipe and crawling from under the apron turned aft to assess damages on his own part lanyard swore in sound saxon opened the door and delivered himself to the pelting shower well he inquired after watching the driver muzzle the eviscerated tire for some eloquent moments Turning up a distorted face, the other gesticulated with profane abandon. By way of good measure, interpolating a few disconnected words and phrases, Lanyard gathered that this was the second accident of the same nature since noon that the cab consequently lacked a spare tire, and that short of a trip to the garage the accident was irremediable. So he said, intelligently, it couldn't be helped paid the man, and overtipped precisely as though their journey had been successfully consummated, and, standing over his luggage, watched the maimed vehicle limp miserably off through the teeming mists. Now, in normal course, his plight should have been relieved within two minutes. But it wasn't. For some time, all such taxis as did pass displayed scornfully inverted flags. Also, their drivers jeered in their pleasing Parisian way at the lonely outlander occupying a position of such uncommon distinction in the heart of the storm and the precise middle of the Pont Saint-Michel. Over to the left, on the Quai des Marchés Neuf, the façade of the Préfecture frowned portentously. La Tour Pointue, as the Parisian loves to term it. Lanyard forgot his annoyance long enough to salute that grim pile with a mocking bow, thinking of the men therein who would give half their possessions to lay hands on him who was only a few hundred yards distant, marooned in the rain. In its own good time a night-prowling fiacre ambled up and veered over to his hail he viewed this stroke of good fortune with intense disgust the shambling weather-beaten animal between the shafts promised a long damp crawl to the lutetia and on this reflection he yielded to impulse heaving in his luggage troyons he told the the fiacre lumbered off into that dark maze of streets narrow and tortuous which backs up from the seine to the luxembourg while its fare reflected that fate had not served him so hardly after all if roddy had really been watching for him at the gare du nord with a mind to follow and wait for his prey to make some in incriminating move, this chance contrived change of vehicles and destination would throw the detective off the scent and gain the immature, at worst, several hours' leeway. When at length his conveyance drew up at the historic corner, Lanyard alighting could have rubbed his eyes to see the windows of Troyon's all bright with electric light. Somehow, and most unreasonably, he had always believed the place would go to the hands of the house wrecker unchanged a smart portier ducked out seized his luggage and offered an umbrella lanyard composed his features to immobility as he entered the hotel of no mind to let the least flicker of recognition be detected in his eyes when they should re-encounter familiar faces and this was quite as well for again the first he saw was roddy end of chapter two recording by william Tomco